Hi, uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, February the 9th, sponsored by 42 Bar and Table at the Clinton Center. On today's edition, we're going to talk about a new lawsuit challenging the state's photo ID law, Bart Hester versus the Humanities, signs of a threat to Arkansas Governor's School, and big bills for the state Supreme Court. I'm joined, as always, by Max Brantley. Ah. So a lawsuit was filed uh, this week in Pulaski County Circuit Court challenging the most recent legislation that attempts a constitutional means to require a photo ID to vote. Well, the Arkansas legislature in 2017 tried to come up with a constitutional way to add a, a new qualification for voting, that is a photo ID. The Supreme Court several years ago said the Constitution's real clear. There are only four qualifications and it's age and residency and U.S. citizenship, and that's all, period. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, the legislature uh, is going to argue that their Amendment 51, which gives the legislature some ground to change things as to voter registration, that somehow this is about voter registration. That's baloney. It's about adding a restriction to vote. It's about making it harder to vote, about adding some process for somebody to go through to be able to vote, but... Though it should be simple and it should be a laydown, there's a big difference in, in the court now than what existed when this this previous order was issued, and it's more conservative, it's more uh, obliging of the legislature, so it's hard to say how this will work out. However, it first has to go through circuit court, and circuit court judges, whatever their politics might be, have to be guided by precedent. And I think the precedent in this case is going to be pretty strong for Alice Gray to uphold the previous ruling and say this is a new qualification to vote, you can't do it. And the hope in the lawsuit is, it's a citizen's lawsuit, that they'll enjoin use of the voter ID in the primary election at least. We'll see. Meanwhile, the legislature also referred a constitutional amendment that would enshrine right, this law. That's going to be on the ballot in November. And given the way they've successfully sold the notion that there's fraud in voting, of which there is no evidence of any amount of voter fraud in ID fraud, that is, uh, voters will probably approve it, and then that'll wipe out any constitutional challenge. But that would be in years 2019 onward, not not this year, if, if somehow. The idea is just to try this election. I think the lawsuit aims just to strike down voter IDs at least for 2018 and hope that prevents a discouragement of voting in both the primary and general election. The studies have shown these laws do suppress voting, and they tend to be in communities where poor people and minority people live. And these laws were passed by Republicans because generally poor people and minority people don't support Republicans. Okay. So they don't want them to vote. The great irony of this, of course, is is that the Amendment 51 that the Republicans want to use to justify this law was passed to eliminate the poll tax and make it easier to vote. They're now using it to make it harder to vote. All right, let's move on and talk about our sponsor, 42 Bar and Table. Well, uh, it's always a good day to go to 42 Bar and Table. They're open for lunch uh, every day, uh, Monday through Saturday. But they're open for dinner Thursday through Saturday with specials that everything from big meat eaters like a juicy burger to vegans who might like vegetable curry, which is pretty good. I've eaten it even myself on occasion and gone the vegetable route. It's good stuff, and the bar's open till midnight, and nothing wrong with that, and it's uh, right down there at the end of Clinton Avenue, lots of parking, and plus they'll deliver at lunch, so there's that too. 
All right. Go to 42. Tell them we sent you. Earlier this week, Senator Bart Hester tweeted a photo of a billboard advertising the dance program at UA Little Rock. He wrote below, why does higher ed, why higher ed does not need increased funding? They lease a sign to encourage computer science degrees or math teachers. No, they push for dance majors. Lots of hardworking Arkansans subsidizing this, exclamation point. Not okay. Well, you know, a tweet by a troglodyte legislator in one sense isn't news. But in another sense it is. Number one, Bart Hester has a lot of influence in the legislature. And number two, I think it, it was just a really strong illustration of broad and important themes. Number one, there are a lot of legislators that don't have much use for higher education. And there are a lot of them that only have a use for certain kinds of education, what they deem to be worthwhile and what is not. I think if it were left for the Arkansas legislature, I, I presume they wouldn't provide a dollar for poets or dancers or French speakers or any number of not important disciplines. I mean, I think smarter people know that education for its own sake is broadening and is a good thing. And so this... This stirred people up. It was really great. I mean, it stirred, you know, took off on Facebook. A lot of media picked up what Hester had done. He was generally uh, criticized pretty heavily, although I'm quite sure there are plenty of silent majority-type people who agreed completely with him. What are we doing advertising dance? I mean, a fruity pastime like that. There was really a wonderful piece written about dance at UALR. It's, it's at UA Little Rock, excuse me. It's... Uh, it's the only school in the state that offers a bachelor's in fine arts and dance, and it's not an easy thing. You know, you need to know kinesiology. Somebody wrote, this is a discipline in which you identify a problem, how to accomplish something through movement, and then you work with a group of people in collaboration to do it, a dance troupe, and then you use both mental skills, because it takes a great deal of concentration and thought, and then physical skills to deliver on the result. And, and and you've broadened yourself in doing that, and you've succeeded at task solving. And I can't think of a better definition of what education about is that. And, and many people wrote in to say, you know, I was a dance major, and now I'm a, a chemist, or I'm a computer scientist. or I mean, the notion that there are only certain kinds of education that we should support and others are worthless it's just terrible. Unfortunately, I think it's endemic in the Arkansas legislature, and it's good to see how many people spoke up. But the legislature is shrinking its support of higher education. It wants to turn us into one big Votech school, I think. If you can't do computer coding, well, pay for your own college. And, and that's so in a sense that Bart Hester stirred this, and this is somebody who wants higher office, governor or senator or something, and I, it kind of showed what a dope he is. You know, he played baseball at UA, and, you know, I don't, I, baseball is subsidized by football players, and we subsidize the athletic program indirectly, if not by direct dollars, in, in lots of ways. I mean, we devote a franchise to this. And, I mean, is baseball worthwhile, really? I mean, if Bart Hester's an illustration, not so much. <laughs> So this is a developing story, but there are multiple indications that the religious right has, again, targeted Arkansas Governor's School. Well, here's what we know. It's time again to renew the contract for the college that plays host to Governor's School. The deadline's next week. 
for the 2019 the, for the school. for the 20 beginning in 2019 for a three-year period beginning not this summer but next summer uh, we know from Facebook that Jerry Cox leader of the religious right family council applied to be a teacher at governor school this year and said he was rejected and commented on his Facebook page maybe it was because he was Christian uh, that comment and further critical comments about the liberal nature of governor's school and the fact that students had been disrespectful to Governor Asa Hutchinson. I'm not sure how. I mean, the news accounts I found of students asking him questions clearly held different philosophical viewpoints, but it was all polite, and Asa Hutchinson's a grown-up and can handle questions. And also Mark Lowry, who once worked at governor's school years ago, is another religious writer, for my, and has worked at UCA, said, well, change, big change is coming on this soon, and I've been working on it for months. And Jason Rapert, the senator from Conway, chimed in, I'm going to renew my questions about this. This is all in the context of very critical remarks about Governor's School from Jerry Cox. At the moment, we're about to have a new round of bids to handle it. Well, UCA, I learned today, has worked on an application. Uh, Harding University in Searcy, which is a conservative Church of Christ school, which may or may not mean anything, confirms that it may file an application. We haven't been able to term if Hendricks will do it again. It's done it since 1979. I wrote about just this rumbling, not knowing for sure what's going on, and, and been unable to advance it very far today with primary sources to get the governor's school community, which is large and significant, fired up and indeed I think my post has been shared on Facebook 1200 times I mean the people who went to governor school not universally and not a hundred percent but I think overwhelmingly thought it was an important experience in their lives I, I noted and we had a really touching comment on my blog post today from a young woman who went to governor school who said it literally saved her life she was somebody I think perhaps was gay but lived felt like a freak in the community she lived in and felt isolated and alone and she went to governor's school and found a place that she felt safe and wanted and, and accepted and I, I don't think that means that anybody there was preaching an alternative lifestyle or any of these terrible things that conservatives talk about but they accepted different sorts of people they're nerds and geeks and gay kids and transgender kids and black kids and white kids and Yes, conservative kids, about which I've been questioned by pretty sharply at times. And it's it's all in the interest of, of you know, growing your experience and your knowledge. And, and that just offends some people on the religious right. They don't want it. I, I know in the early years, there was a – they've been fighting this school since 1979. My mother-in-law helped start it and was a supervisor of it in its early years as a gifted and talented uh, employee in the State Department of Education. And she was regularly called down to the legislature to explain the terrible things they were teaching. I mean, reading, showing a documentary film about Harvey Milk, the gay man who was elected to the San Francisco City Board of Supervisors. Imagine telling children that a gay person could be elected to public office. It's just horrible. Well, so anyway, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. It's because there's a certain group that want to determine what children may hear and what they may not hear and broad, challenging, difficult subjects that sometimes go against their beliefs or things they don't want young people to hear. You know, the, the school has made accommodations. I, I think they've toned the curriculum down significantly over the years. We wrote some years ago about them 
dropping a reading from Angels in America because they didn't think it was suitable for that age group. I disagreed with that view, but interestingly enough, Tony Kushner, who wrote the play, thought maybe it was okay <laughs> to make that decision. His mother taught me in governor's school in Louisiana, and uh, they have hired conservative teachers. Dan Greenberg, the former Republican legislator, was a teacher. I've spoken at a class led by Peggy Scranton, a UALR professor who's a lifelong Republican, a Rockefeller Republican, I must say, but uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless a Republican. And so you know, I but but Hendrix itself is is a is a private liberal arts institution and viewed as a bastion of liberalism. You know, there, there are certain people that that don't like that either that it's even set there, and it's set there for a very good and practical reason, which is that there is no summer school at Hendrix. And so the campus is available and its dorms are available only for high school students. It's a good setting for them. But that's uh, not good enough for Jerry Cox. He's on the warpath. And the Republicans are now in control. So I think it bears watching and it bears turning out governor school supporter, of which there are tens of thousands, to at least make them think twice before they do something. The Arkansas Supreme Court has racked up big legal bills so far paying private lawyers in Judge Wendell Griffin's lawsuit against them for removing him from all cases related to the death penalty. Yeah, well, Wendell Griffin is sued in federal court claiming his constitutional rights have been violated. The case has not yet been torn out, of, thrown out of court. What's, in, what's interesting is, is how much money the state Supreme Court is spending defending itself. The court set out to use a, a, a constitutional litigation outfit in New York and it's for the whole court, but apparently some individual members wanted their own lawyers as well. And so far, they've they've spent a hundred, run up one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in bills. And uh, Chief Justice has asked for authority for spending up to five hundred thousand dollars more. They may not have to spend much of that money, but they've they've spent one hundred and sixty thousand already. One thing that's turned out to be interesting is the differences in lawyers. Uh, Sean Womack. Dan Kemp and Robin Wynn are all using the New York Constitutional Litigation Outfit, which is billing a cheap for New York, $250 an hour for its work, and has only billed about $11,000 so far just to respond, to file one response to the initial lawsuit. But uh, Rhonda Wood, Karen Baker, Joe Hart, and Courtney Goodson have all hired their own lawyers. A couple of them have hired Arkansas lawyers who charge relatively modest amounts, $250 an hour. One one law firm charged, I think, $1,100. One charged $800. Rhonda, Rhonda Wood has spent about $30,000 on a Colorado law firm. But Courtney Hudson Goodson so far has racked up on the taxpayer's bill $86,000 in legal bills using a Washington, D.C. law firm whose rates run from 550 to $975 an hour. And they have piled up huge numbers of hours with multiple lawyers. And you just kind of wonder, what is it that they're, that they're smoking up there that they think they need to do that kind of work when an Arkansas lawyer figured about $800 worth was about enough to represent Karen Baker. Well, uh, the, the only one other thing that's interesting about this we don't know much about what precisely they did because a lot of the records have been redacted by the Supreme Court clerk who finally provided the hourly rates after I protested to their original decision not to release them, is that Courtney Goodson lost the race for Chief Justice against Dan Kemp two years ago. 
She went through a divorce after her first race for court, which was very expensive. She was beat up by dark money advertising for kind of having expensive tastes, being taken on a fancy yacht trip in the Mediterranean, getting very expensive purses and other gifts from John Goodson, the man she eventually married, running up $86,000 in $975 hour lawyer's fees by somebody who's already been branded as having expensive taste just strikes me as a 30-second ad just begging to be made. And she faces opposition for re-election from David Sterling, who's a Federalist Society right-winger and with a disgusting record, but he'll have the money he needs from the dark money sources to make some pretty funny advertising out of this, I'd predict. One thing I didn't mention in the the lead-up, uh, I guess because the news moves so quickly, is big political news of the week is that State Representative Clark Tucker has announced for Congress. Yep, he's the third Democrat in the race. I feel a little sorry for the earlier two Democrats, uh, Paul Spencer and Gwen Combs, because Tucker's entry got a lot more coverage from everybody than their own earlier announcements had been. They've been working hard. Paul Spencer's really done a remarkable job raising $150,000 by not taking PAC money, doing it in 2,000 small contributions. But Clark Tucker is a rising star. He's smart and amiable. He's a friend of mine, I should say. And he's he raised almost $250,000 for state representative race to defeat Stacey Hurst four years ago. Which might be a record. It may be a record. I mean, he has proven money-raising capabilities, lots of connections, and the business community in Little Rock, so he'll have a lot of money. Uh, I don't know that he necessarily brings to the race any immediate edge in the critical part of this race, which is cutting into the expected Republican margin in the counties that surround Pulaski County. The Democrat will beat French Hill in Pulaski County, whoever it is. The question is, is how big and can can it be enough in combination with some gains out in the outer region to uh, to beat him. Clark Tucker's first of all got to beat his two opponents and maybe in these sort of iconoclastic times I noticed Gwen Combs said oh he Clark Tucker's just another French Hill a rich kid of privilege from the heights. Well that's I mean that's not untrue as far as it goes. I think it's a bad idea for Democrats to be waging class warfare against each other when all of them are better philosophically from that point of view than French Hill is, who's voted down the line with Donald Trump. But in any event, that's the course she's going to follow. I, 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 I would have to think Clark Tucker's the favorite to win the primary race. He's a hard worker. He won't be outworked. He'll work as hard as they do. And he's just a nice guy. And the, the Republicans recognize his strength and, and only grudgingly let him pass, letting him pass much of anything in the legislature precisely because they didn't want him to build a resume. I think at a different time, in an Arkansas past before the Republican takeover, Clark Tucker probably running for governor this year, but that's not going to happen. Okay, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you got this week? Well, I want to endorse – this is kind of weird, and, and you had to have been there, but I want to endorse UA Little Rock's chancellor, Andrew Rogerson. Wow. We had lunch that Lindsey may or may not want to chime in, and I, I we had lunch with him today, and – Boy, he said some good things. Yeah, no, he I just, was incredibly I, I don't impressed. think he said a thing that struck me off note. First of all, what he says he wants to do is is get people to understand there's a university in this town and that it's a research university and that it's training people 
to do good research, which encourages the education of students who go out and really make things happen in the community. And I do think enough people don't know that. I, th- I think he's exactly right about that. He, he revealed some other things on a lot of hot-button issues that I think will make news over time that we can talk more about as they develop, whether it's football or the East End high school on campus that was arranged before he arrived that's created clearly some on-campus problems. Some interesting comments on that, but one thing I think we can reveal here for the first time, a fascinating piece of news, they have leased space in the new building built by the uh, library system downtown on Clinton Avenue for the uh, parking deck for the parking deck that had some retail space on the ground floor. They're going to use it for an outreach office and an event center, and they are going to install there this priceless treasure that the library system bought years ago, donated to the U- UA Little Rock, and has now been restored. It's a mural done during the 30s by Joe, I guess, a so- Joe Jones, Jones, a yeah. socialist painter that kind of depicts travails in the South at that time, including a lynching, sort of a controversial piece of fabulous artwork that's been stored uh, out of sight for 25 years. 25 years. And it's going to be the centerpiece of the remodeling of this space on the ground floor of that building. And so, I mean, hats off to Andrew Rogerson. Yeah, he seemed like a a truly visionary leader. So uh, I am going to uh, endorse the Black Panther movie soundtrack it's really good i'm really excited about everybody's the Black Panther hot movie. about that and i just think probably it's not, not you probably but not. it is uh so far the movie which comes out in a week has gotten pretty much uniformly good reviews and and by critics i admire including david edelstein of, of new york who said that it's by far the you know, most substantive superhero movie in years, which maybe is not saying much, but well, uh, I'm a fan of the character and have been for for a long time. Tanazi Coates, the uh, renowned uh, cultural commentator, writes the comic book these days, so it's kind of a must read on, for people who both like his real writing and who are nerdy about comic books. But um, the movie seems good, but the soundtrack is by is was done by my favorite rap and R and B label TDE, uh, which puts out Kendrick Lamar and Schoolboy Q and SZA, and it's got all those folks on it, and it's it's really good. It's the best movie soundtrack that you know I've heard in a long time. It sort of harkens back to when Prince did Batman. It's it's definitely worth a listen, and then we'll see if the movie's good. Maybe I'll endorse that down the road. Okay. All right. Well, go to 42 and tell them we sent you. You got a burger and a martini tonight, and tell, but whatever you do, tell them we sent you. We'll see you next time.